Thank you for tuning into the All Funds Investment Podcast. Today's episode features Kevin Cott. Kevin is a partner at Cott Law Group, a boutique law firm focused on providing full-service legal counsel to the investment management industry. In this episode, we discuss the recent impact of the SEC decisions on Ripple, Terraform, ETFs, and we get Kevin's outlook on SEC enforcement in the crypto space. Just a reminder here that nothing said is legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out the full disclaimer below. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Please like and subscribe if you find this information helpful. And check out the links in the description to connect with us and Kevin. It's been a handful of months now. There were issues with the SEC versus Ripple, Terraform ruling, um, Grayscale just had an ETF. So there's a lot happening in the crypto space. Um, tell us about where we're at, and you can start with you know whichever one you want to, if you have a preference. Yeah, it's been it's been a really active crypto enforcement environment. A lot of moving parts. I would I would maybe start with the Ripple decision. So I think it was in July. Judge Torres of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York issued a summary judgment ruling regarding sales of Ripple's token, which was XRP. The key thing here was she issued a split ruling. So what she held was that direct sales of the XRP of XRP to institutional investors were a securities offering, whereas the programmatic sales um, to retail investors on exchanges were not a securities offering. Um, this all comes down to the application of the Howey test. Um, and to really oversimplify it, her ruling came down to the fact that she said the programmatic sales to retail investors failed the Howey test because investors could not have known whether they were purchasing XRP from Ripple. So this ended up you know, making a lot of news and, and headway in the crypto community. Um, I think a lot of uh, the crypto community hailed it as this big win um, for the industry. Even though it had limited precedential value, it did mark like the first significant judicial pushback to the SEC's you know, perceived crypto regulation through enforcement. And if adopted as a framework, that would be a really big deal to, to basically say that you know, if, you don't, if you're trading on a secondary market and you don't know who the counterparty is, it's technically not a security. That would have, you know, the SEC would be hamstrung in a lot of its ongoing enforcement actions, you know, for example, Coinbase. So it was this you know, big decision, but it... it it, there were a couple issues with it, um, and the main one was just that the ruling was kind of uh, surprising and, and I think ran counter to what you would expect where the retail investors were the ones that weren't protected. So you fast forward a few months and there was this Terraform decision, um, same court, this time a different judge, Judge Rakoff, and, and basically he uh, applied the Howey test in a similar case, but um, came to a different result. He expressly rebuked the Ripple decision. He, he noted that the Howey test makes no distinction, distinction between purchasers and whether a purchaser bought the to- tokens directly from the issuer um, or in a secondary resale, and that a reasonable individual would view the issuer as having promoted the offering either way. And so what happened was it, it created this inconsistency. We had this Ripple decision that you know, seemed to say that secondary sales um, were not securities and the, the Terraform decision that rebuked it. Um, and so it, I, I think the Terraform decision makes more sense and is better aligned with the policy objective of protecting retail investors. That's my personal take on it. Um, but that was kind of the, I think the first big development, which is kind of those two decisions, um, and trying to create this framework going forward for how do you deal with crypto tokens and, and you know, deciding when they're securities. The only thing I would add to that, there, there's sort of this still ongoing elephant in the room, which is, you know, they're applying the Howey test to these transaction by transaction basis. Was this a security? A security? Was this not? Um, there's this argument though that you can have something that's initially a securities offering, 
that evolves into a utility token. You know, that was the argument with with Ethereum, for example. Um, Bitcoin is, you know, arguably a utility token and, and not a security. And I don't, I haven't seen a court address that yet. I feel like that's probably the next big thing that that would actually give a lot more clarity is is understanding, you know, if that's possible and how that works. And so far, the courts haven't really taken the ball and run with it. Yeah, that, that's interesting for sure. I think uh, obviously, as you mentioned, having having some clarity in the courts is great. Yeah, but it's still. I mean, obviously, you have two different situations here. Um, it's still, in my mind, it's going to be applied on a case-by-case basis going forward. Yeah, and it, the inconsistency kind of underscores the need for legislative clarity. Like, it, it's, you know, right now, I think it's, um, it, there's really no clear framework in place. You've got, you know, judges in, in the same um in the same district coming to totally different conclusions. Um, it's just a really confusing subject matter that, that's got a lot of gray area to it. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, I don't know if it's a lack of education. I know some some of the, uh, you know, of our legislators have very well entrenched expertise and some, I don't, I don't know if it's just a, it's a bit of both there, but it, it's interesting interesting to see kind of what's, what's happening here. And we definitely need clarity going forward, 100%. Yeah, you know, and, and there are, you know, bills that are being proposed, but, but there hasn't been any traction with really yeah. you know, real bipartisan support. Um, you know, that's a whole different discussion about, you know, Congress and polarization and, and what yeah. we can expect. But um, yeah, it, it, you know, I think a lot of people think that these decisions are, are kind of messy, but good, um, because eventually maybe they lead to a, a judicial framework that gives you more clarity. Um, but it's certainly a process. I think to your point earlier, you talked about Coinbase and others. It gives them at least something to point to. That's yeah. that's been finalized going forward. It may be helpful, you know, and and providing eventual clarity as to what happens when the dust settles, if you will. You know, it's been about two, three, give or take months since the SEC versus Ripple and the Terraform ruling. Is, is there any updates on those? Anything that's changed or, you know, that we, we, we see could be changing uh, since those rulings have, have broke? So... With Ripple, um, yeah, the SEC, they appealed that specific ruling and I believe it was rejected. And then they dropped their claims against Ripple's co-founders. I, I, I've you know seen some commentary on that. I, I think maybe it was, it was more strategic so they could kind of focus on the remainder of their claims. But um, you know, that's progressing and we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I'm not sure what other developments have, have gone on with the Terraform case, if any, um, but I, I need to double check that grayscale is a little bit more recent you know month and a half two months since uh this broke um tell tell us about what happened with grayscale the etf so you know background for years investors you know wanted to have kind of exposure to bitcoin without necessarily owning and and custodying it directly you know that's evolved over the years as coinbase and other um you know platforms have become more popular but like in the early days you know i think it was more of a real issue and so Grayscale had this Grayscale Bitcoin trust that did provide a, a means for that, um, but it was sort of this imperfect solution. Um, it would frequently trade, it, uh, it does frequently trade at a premium or a discount to the actual price of the asset. Um, and so the, uh, you know, I, I think the goal for a long time for a lot of these issuers was to create an ETF of spot Bitcoin that can you know, track the price of Bitcoin. It's uh, much more liquid, much more efficient. And there's been a lot of applications to, to get one approved. Um, and the SEC has not approved one to date. 
So what happened was they rejected Grayscale's application to convert. I think the goal was to convert the trust to an ETF. Um, you know, the SEC rejected it. But what's interesting is, is around the same time, the SEC actually approved a couple ETFs to trade Bitcoin futures. And so Grayscale sued and the court uh, agreed with Grayscale and found that the um, rejection was arbitrary and capricious and that they didn't have a good basis for it. And so they, I think that the rejection was in June, 2022. The court found that the, when they, so recently they found that the underlying assets, the Bitcoin and Bitcoin futures are so closely correlated. Like there's these surveillance um, sharing agreements that are identical. And so they couldn't really understand the distinction why you would approve one and not the other. And so the DC Circuit Court of Appeals agreed, you know, and vacated the SEC's rejection. And that kind of led us to where we are now. Yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting. I always wondered why, you know, spot wasn't approved versus futures. You know, futures yeah. was first, you know, as a derivative of the underlying, which is interesting in itself. Yeah. And, and I would add, I mean, I think, whereas I think much was made of the Ripple decision and, and that may have been sort of overhyped, this does kind of feel like more of a, a legitimate win for crypto. I think an ETF, you know, it, that it's probably for the you know, traders and investment managers to, to weigh in on how impactful that will be. But, you know, I think it goes like, I think it's pretty clear that it certainly supports the industry to have that and, and to have, you know, another means to bring in more demand for the asset class. And while this doesn't guarantee that a Bitcoin, you know, a spot Bitcoin ETF gets approved, it definitely increases the likelihood of it. I think like the price surge last week um, when Grayscale's victory was formalized in court. So, you know, people are following this closely. Um, it does have certainly a meaningful impact on, on the industry. We'll see how it shakes out. You know, there, there's a lot of speculation about how the SEC is going to approach it from here. You know, they they, they may approve the application. Uh, they may go through the same process and you know take another eight months. It could be it could take a while. You know, and then there's sort of like the the horse racing component of it of you know which of these issuers is going to win um, and get approval. There's speculation they may approve more than one um, to avoid like a clear winner. Yeah. You know, who knows? It's like you know picking a <laughs> yeah, the NBA champion. We'll see. <laughs> right now, how many how many have filed now? I mean, I obviously have a, a BlackRock and a few others that are in the mix there, but there's quite a few. Yeah, there's quite a few. I, I know of the BlackRock one, and and I I probably need to double check like how many pending applications there are. But um, you know, it's certainly a race to get one approved, and and I think all these you know really smart market participants think that there's there's a big opportunity there. Sure. Well, and to be clear, you know. Uh, spot uh, ETFs are available worldwide, like in Canada and other places, right? It's just the U.S. is, is you know, obviously has a big market. Right, the e ETPs. Yeah. Gear up. Yeah, ETPs or ETFs in Canada. I know there, there's a few yeah. that are already approved. Yeah. So, so it would, yeah, we'll see. I think um, it definitely bodes well and, and looks like it's, you know, I don't know what the percentage increase is, but some significant percentage more likely than it was before the decision. Right. Right. I guess we don't know the timeline. Any yeah. speculation on that? Obviously, pure, pure speculation on, on the timeline, but I don't know if it's, like you said, a domino effect, a few that so they don't favor one versus the other, or probably a couple of years from now, just kind of a, probably just a a lottery ticket. I, I, yeah, I truly have no idea. <laughs> I'd, I'd, yeah, I, I would yeah. guess that, I don't know, I, I would guess that more than one will be approved. It, it would seem unfair to approve one and not another. And I'm not sure how you'd have a, a differing basis, even though each application is different, but right. I really haven't looked into that part as closely. Sure. Yeah, no worries. Just yeah. curious. 
I, I I would imagine too, from just from Grayscale's perspective, if they were to convert that, you know, from a closed ended trust to an ETF, they'd be losing a lot in fees. I mean, not only would the, you know, fees get compressed, but the in terms of AUM, uh, you know, there's likely to be a, 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 a large outdraw to make a trade in NAV. Yeah. Yes. But then I also think there may be more appetite to come into it that offsets it. But I agree. Any other thoughts, uh, interesting developments between SEC and any other crypto company that, that you're seeing out there? No, I mean, I, I think the, you know, the backdrop to all this is probably a, the, the Coinbase and, and Binance lawsuits. Those are sort of the headliners. Um, and there's been certainly a lot of activity with the Coinbase one in particular. For, for me, as, you know, as a securities attorney, I was probably most interested in that sort of ripple terraform progression and how they're applying the Howey test and, you know, the consistency of it. And what's really interesting is just, you know, you have, you, you have these traditional securities laws and how you define a security, which the SEC with a lot of these tokens, I think has a point that, that they are securities, just, you know, the fact that they have um, a blockchain capability on top of sort of this equity like um, you know, set up doesn't, you know, shouldn't prevent them from being, from giving investors the same protections they have otherwise. But then it gets a, a little murkier after that. There's a lot of gray areas. There's no legislation that, you know, deals directly with, um, you know, tokens and crypto in general. And so it, it's just one of those things where you, you have these decisions that, that are using kind of existing securities laws, but there's, there's no additional ammunition or, or additional guidance that can be used to make clearer decisions. So I think until that comes, we're just going to have the same issues over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I'm, my hope is, you know, moving forward, there's a kind of a waning of just regulation by enforcement and that you know, we come to more of a uh, standardization of, of process and clarity. I could be completely wrong. I have no idea, but uh, I'm just curious yeah. what your thoughts I, are. There. I think that's right. I mean, you, you do have, you know, a lot of these industry participants, um, I think the fair criticism of the SEC is that, you know, the lack of outreach or, you know, really clamoring for some kind of guidance that, that they would comply with. And so if that's right. not provided, um, you know, that, that part, uh, I, I think is, is fair. Um, yeah, but it, it, everything's case by case. Then you have the ones where, where issuers are clearly, you know, promoting something that would be a security in any other context. And it's not really like a get out of jail free card just because it's crypto. So you have to balance those two kind of competing issues and, and figure out the ones where, where there really is real pushback. Yeah. So you're saying you have a lot to do then to keep your, your clients updated on an ongoing basis. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's, um, I mean, from our standpoint, it's really more of an issue, I think, for a lot of these issuers and exchanges. So if you're from the fund manager standpoint, um, all along, we've, we've really taken the position that, you know, it would be aggressive and probably irresponsible to assume that the underlying assets in the fund are not securities. Like a lot of, you know, unless you're investing in just Bitcoin, for example, um, that's a big leap. And so we've, from the outset, advised our clients, you know, assume you're dealing with securities. Everything else then is just, you know, no different than it would be with a traditional hedge fund. Um, the documentation is different. The risk disclosures are different. The, you know, uh, service providers are in some contexts are different. But the securities laws aspects are the exact same. You know, you have to comply with the 
you know, Investment Company Act and be either a 3C1 or a 3C7 fund. Uh, you have to comply with the Advisors Act and either register with the SEC or a state or rely on an available exemption. And so, you know, for fund managers that have been set up that way all along, um, I think their exposure is a little bit more limited. But for the issuers and the exchanges, it's obviously, you know, potentially, um, you know, just a huge deal uh, and, and really impactful. Totally agree. Yeah, it definitely, definitely is. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, cool. I, I mean, that, that's it on my end. Any, anything else you guys want to talk about while we're here? Anything was, you guys have been saying that you want to talk about? I was just you curious. I mean, you mentioned the exchanges and, and, and that. Obviously, the banking side, um, from your client's mm-hmm. point of view, is still a topic of conversation, right? Yeah, I, I would say that's putting it mildly. I mean, right. for, it's you know a topic of um, frustration. It's you know a lot of a lot of these fund managers are having a difficult time opening bank accounts. Um, you know, I think with with the increased regulatory scrutiny, you see obviously some banks um, exiting the industry, and others you know that are that are being much more cautious, and um, that has been a challenge. There's there's certainly banks we work with that are are great partners for our our clients, but, um, it's limited as far as the ones that are continuing to work with crypto. Yeah. I would say just from what I've seen too, um, that's not even just crypto. I mean, signature bank covered all asset classes, right? So uh, yep. I think there's a, at least where I've seen a push to have a backup bank, um, uh, open multiple accounts just in case something happens. Um, I've had multiple conversations on that with clients for sure. Yep. Same thing here. We, you know, we had clients that, um, we're at Signature, or we're at you know, some of the other banks that that um, that failed, and you know it's it's a really stressful, um, difficult situation for an existing fund to kind of deal with that. And how do you process, you know, investor subscriptions and withdrawals? And um, yeah, before this, you know, we didn't see as much conversation about having multiple custodians and you know a separate sort of a backup bank account. And, and now I think that's the whole landscape has shifted a bit. Yeah, even some banks that are now maybe not taking as much, uh, you know, certain types of clients. I've seen that come up uh, recently as well, where maybe they're kind of pulling back on certain, yeah, certain types of and, strategies. Which makes sense. You know, they're more conservative by nature. And so you've got, right. you know, a, a sort of choppy industry overall. And then obviously like the added uncertainty and risk of crypto, right. it's going to be a challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Interesting times for everybody, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Never gets old. Well, Kevin, th- this has been great, man. Um, where can people go to connect with you and learn more about Cot Law? Sure. So, so you can find uh, my firm, Cot Law Group, at www.cotlawgroup.com. Um, my contact information is on there, or you can just always shoot me an email at kevin at cotlawgroup.com. Um, and we're also on Twitter and LinkedIn and can be found there. Outstanding. We awesome. really appreciate the time, Kevin. Great to have a conversation. Yeah, with thanks you. for the insights, Kevin. Of course. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me back on. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to like and subscribe for more content like this and reach out if you're interested in starting a fund, whether it's a hedge fund, VC fund, um, whatever fund you're thinking, uh, we could help you out and let us know if there's any other topics that you'd like for us to cover. Thanks for watching.